fulfilled their roles. And in that message, which was titled Finished, what we looked at, well, first of all, were the priests. We saw the priests. The priest's job was to bear the ark. They were to bear the ark. They were the men that would walk and step into the water. The water would stand, the Bible says, as in heap, and the people would cross on dry ground. And what we saw with the priests was they were to bear that ark, the weight of it. And what we saw in that is a picture. Here are faithful men, faithful priests that are bearing and holding up the Lord. Now, the Lord is also seen in the Word of God as the Word. So they're holding up the Lord. They're holding up the Word. And by way of what they're doing, they're holding back the judgment of God upon the people. There's a picture there. You and I are supposed to hold up the Word of God. You and I are supposed to live a life that exemplifies Christ. And in doing so, we can then be a hope or a help to those that are facing judgment. Because this world's facing judgment. Listen, there's two things. It's either salvation or judgment. It's one or the other. And understand, Christ came to die for the sins of the world, to offer a way out for anybody and everybody. It's not about us individually. It's about His love for the world. That's why you and I are here today, because He loves us. So we looked at the priest. Then we looked at Joshua. What we saw with Joshua was Joshua was faithful to do his job. His job was to share the Word. That's all God asked him to do. And what we saw was he was faithful to share the Word, no matter who the person was. No matter what their age, no matter what their status, it didn't matter. What we saw was his heart was to not to choose whether someone was worthy or unworthy to receive the word. His job was simply to give it, to share it. He didn't presuppose or pre, predetermine who was who. And that describes how you and I are supposed to, supposed to share the word of God, man. We're not to be a respecter of persons. We're supposed to love the world the same way the Lord loves the world. Regardless of race, creed, sexual orientation, social status, all these things, they don't matter to God. Right. Understand, we're all one race, the human race, and we all have the same problem, which is sin. So what we have is this picture. Then what we saw with Joshua was also his faithfulness to his mentor. We saw a disciple and discipleship relationship between Moses and Joshua. And what we saw was the fact that Moses listened and he, or Joshua listened to what Moses told him. As Moses was directed of God, Joshua listened. And we saw this be beautiful example of discipleship, which mimics the very same way that our Lord developed his disciples. What did he do? He invested in men. He didn't invest in thousands. He brought a small group of men, and he invested in their lives. And through his investment in them, you and I are here today. And that mimics exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be pouring into others that we could reproduce and have other Christians in the nation. Then we looked at the, the faithfulness of the 12. Well, the 12, what was their job? Their job was to bear the burden of the rocks. They bared the burden on behalf of their people. You and I are supposed to bear the burdens of brothers and sisters. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are people in this room that are going through hard times. Miss Stella, right now, they're going through hard times. And I appreciate the heart of our church, people reaching out to them, giving them the love and support that they need. That's our job. We're here to support one another. We are a, we're a body. Then we looked at the, the people. The people, they were faithful. They weren't always faithful, but here they were faithful. And they've showed up on the other side of the Jordan River. And what was so neat about that is we saw the reward of faithfulness. What had happened, the ark, which had been kept from them from so, for so long, it had been kept a half mile away. They weren't able to get close to it. Now, that last verse in that, when we saw there in, in, in verse 10, was the fact that he says that, that the, the ark was brought into their presence. And what we see is a reward for obedience. The reward for obedience is the presence of God. It's intimacy with God. That's true of a lost person who submits to the Lord and says, you know what, I need Christ. And guess what they receive? Intimacy with God. It's true for the believer who's maybe not walking with the Lord as they should. And they surrender their heart and they say, you know what, Lord, I submit. 
I submit to a life that's holy. I submit to a life that's righteous. I submit to a life that uplifts your name. Instead of being about me, I wanted to be about you. And guess what? The result of that is intimacy with God. So this morning, after the synopsis of what we just heard, understand the attention is going to shift off of the tribe as a whole, the tribes as a whole, and it's going to shift just to two and a half tribes. We're going to shift to Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh in our message this morning, which is titled Honoring God with a question mark. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. And Lord, I do thank you so much for the message. Lord, I know you laid it on my heart and Lord, you walked me through it. And Father, you've laid it out. And Lord, I know you've spoken to me and I'm asking now that you would speak through me. My desire today, Lord, and you know my heart is not to be seen or to be heard. I want to be a participant. I want to hear what you have. God, please help us. Lord, help us have hearts that are receptive for the truth. Reach out through your spirit, Lord, and grip our hearts that we might hear what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half the tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. So what we see here is there's no mention of the other 12. We've seen how now what's happened is we're now consolidated down onto these three, two and a half tribes. So we see here it's the child of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So here they're separated out. They're separated out individually. Now they're going to function as we see today. They're going to function as one. They're going to really, as they're putting on this display, they're going to function as a single entity. So what I'm going to do is as opposed to me saying, uh, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. We're just going to call them the RGM tribe, if that works for you guys. So when I say RGM, that's who I'm talking about, okay? Because otherwise, it's going to take me a lot longer to say that. And plus, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. I'll never do it right. So we'll just shorten it for my sake. So to understand these people a little bit more, what we're going to do is we're going to use the five investigative questions. Who, what, when, where, and why, right? We want to understand who these, who these individuals are. Who are they? What are they doing? When are they doing it? Where is this happening? And why are they doing what they're doing? So first, let's consider the who. We have the children of Reuben. Now we go to Reuben. Reuben is the, is the, 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 the father of this, of this tribe. But understand, his dad's name was Israel. And what we find with Reuben is Israel, what was interesting is at the end of his life, he, he, he talked to each of his sons as he was giving out inheritances. And he was talking about them individually. He gave us some traits about their individual personalities. And what he told us about Reuben, in chapter Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. He says, man, you are my firstborn. You're born to be a leader, Reuben. You are you're such an unbelievable potential in this world. My desire for you is to see you succeed. That's my heart, Reuben. That's what I want to see. Listen to verse 4, though. Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Reuben's behavior was unpredictable. Who's ever gone out on the water before? Like you've gone into a boat and everything's smooth and serene. You're like, man, what a great day. And if you would say, you're like, we got to get in. You see what's going on? Whoa, <laughs> right? The wind starts blowing. Next thing you know, it becomes, it becomes unstable. Then we said this here, the fact that as we look at his moral um, failures in his life. What we find with Reuben is he has a tendency to make very poor decisions. And what we'll find today, even today, is the fact that that trend is going to continue. And we find out about his future from his father when he said this in verse number four, thou shalt not excel. Next, the tribe of Gad. Gad, what do we know about Gad? Well, this is what 
Israel says of Gad in Genesis 49, 19. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. What history shows us is the Gadites were great warriors. They were very, very powerful. And they had a heart for God. They had a desire to serve the Lord. Deuteronomy 33, verses 20 through 21. But they also have a little issue with self. And you'll hear a little glimpse of that in here. Verse 20 says this, And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he that enlargeth Gad. He dwelleth as a lion, and teareth the arm with the crown of the head. And he provided, this is the part right here, and he provided the first part for himself. <laughs> so there's a little bit of self-serving going on with Gad. Because there in a portion of the lawgiver was he seated, and he came with the heads of the people. He executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. So we see he has some good traits going on, but there's also some other underlying ones that are a little bit worrisome. So even with these positive traits, what we'll find is the downfall of him, of the, of the, of the tribe of Gad, is going to be their influence of those around them. They're influenceable. Then we look at the, tri- the half-tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh. Now, Manasseh is not one of Israel's sons. This is actually one of Israel's grandsons. Joseph is Israel's son, and this is one of, one of his sons. But what we'll find is this is now 12 generations after leaving uh, for when, they were, when it was started with Joseph. What we find is the fact that this tribe is massive. This half of the tribe is absolutely tremendous. Manasseh as a whole is a gigantic tribe of people. So they have great might, they have great size, great military force. But when we reach Joshua 17... What's interesting, when we reach Joshua 17, you're going to find that they are going to, because of a lack of faith, half of the tribe of Manasseh is going to rebel against God. They're not going to listen, and they're not going to do exactly what God asked of them. Again, there's a downfall in them. So we see who they are. But now let's look at, at what they're doing. It says here in verse 12, Passed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war, passed over before the Lord unto the battle. So we see the RGM tribe, man, they're preparing for battle. They're, they're putting everything in place. They've got this huge military display taking place. Now notice who this display is for. Pay attention. They're trying to invent, they're trying to, talk, to send a message to the people, right? And this is, and they passed over armed before the children of Israel. So this big force, 40,000 people, that's a lot of folks, right? That's like, how much is Panther Stadium? 60,000, 70,000, something like that? It's like half a stadium full of people. Imagine them all armed and ready for battle, marching by you. That's a pretty impressive deal to see. But we also see it's like their, level of, their level of commitment. They're trying to display to the Lord their commitment to, to his desire for them to conquer Canaan. And it says, verse 13, about 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle. So they passed over before the children, and they also passed over before the Lord. Now, there's no mention of any of the other forces. All of these tribes had armies, but they don't mention them at all. Why is it only significant that they're mentioned? And we're going to see why in just a little while. But next, let's look at the win. So when is this taking place? As we know, this is just after the successful crossing of the Jordan River. This is 40 years after the initial exodus out of Egypt. Okay? But also, understand, this is 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. And then on top of that, This is literally, Moses has only been at this point in time dead for a little bit over a month. So they followed Moses for 40 years. He was the man. They listened to him, man. They were behind Moses 100%. But then here's Joshua going to take over. So they mourned for 30 days. Look at this in Deuteronomy 34, verses 7 through 9. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. This is an interesting point to pay attention to. It says here, his eye was not dimmed. He was clear, nor his natural force abated. It says that he was physically strong. So he didn't die of natural causes. 
God killed him, right? God took him out at 120 years old. It was his time because you know what? Moses is a picture of the law. Look at the salvation concept. We're not saved through the law. Moses could not bring them out because you're not brought out by the law. You're brought out through Jesus. And if you go to the Hebrew spelling of Jesus, guess what? It's Joshua. Joshua, that's Jesus. And so you brought out through Christ. And it says, And the children of Israel wept, of, wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hand upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So we see here they're adapting to their new leader. They're adapting to Joshua. Now the where. Where are they amassing this 40,000 troops? Well, we know they're on the western bank of the Jordan. They're on the western bank of the Jordan. Now, as they're doing this, here they are. They're falling in line. They're making their preparations because guess where they're going? It says in verse 13, to the plains of Jericho. And I've got a slide I'm going to show you guys. So, the plains of Jericho. So, here's Gilgal, which is where they're heading. So, right now, they're kind of in this area here. Everybody's kind of gathered. Remember, this is millions, millions of people. They're headed to Jericho. See how close Gilgal is close to Jericho, which is where they're going to end up end up in, in a bit. But what we know is the fact is, as we work through this, where they are, chapter one, we saw a glimpse, a mention of a deal that was made between the RGM and Moses about a year earlier. And in that deal, what they did was they worked out that their, their women and their children and their animals were going to stay over on that side, on the, on the western side, and they were going to go, or on the eastern side, and they were going to go in to fight. Joshua 1.14 says this, Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. I want you to pay attention back in that Joshua 1.14. It says, Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave. It says Moses gave. The promised land is given by God. What they received came from Moses. So what happens? They were included, these people here, the, 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 their, their family, they were not going to be included in those that would take the promised land. They had made a deal. We, read, we had a message several, several months ago called Almost, and we talked about the aspect of them getting right to the border. But this brings us to the why. Okay, so these others are all external. The why is the internal. This is their reasoning. This is their, this is their uh, justification for what it is that's taking place. And so where we're going to spend the rest of our time today is really singled in on understanding why it is that these soldiers were picked. Why is this preparation for war? Why is this relevant? Why does God take the time to tell us just this little excerpt here? So as we understand the why of this current event, it's going to help us to totally understand their motivations. So as we're going to do, the only way to do this is to cross-reference, right? We always use Scripture to prove Scripture. I'm not going to just tell you what I think it says. We're going to read it ourselves and know what it says. And we're going to define it and break it down. And by reading this and doing this cross-reference from Numbers chapter number 32, we're going to understand their motivations. Why are they doing what they're, what they're doing? Numbers 32, verses 1 through 33. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. So here they're walking along, and man, they come along, and they look at the great, the, the plains and the grass and the beauty, and they're like, wow, guys, look at this. Whoa, look at the grazing lands. Man, our animals are going to love it. It's going to be amazing. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priests and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, and I'm going to butcher these names to death, but y'all just do the best, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and... 
Jazer, Jazer, Nimrod, and Heshbon, and this last one, Elelef, whatever, Shebam, and Nebo, and beyond. We're going to just <laughs> assume I said that right. Um, so as they're, as they're looking at these places, now we've got a picture sort of showing you where this, this location is. So it's, it's really including all of this land here, right? All of that area there. What we find here is it says, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, okay? They're, they're, they're getting ready like they're going to get to give a revelation. I love how they do this. It's a land for cattle. And thy servants have cattle. Man. That's like, Mom, you see that bike? That's a really nice bike. You know, I ride bikes. What? You ride bikes, sweetheart? Yeah, I just get that bike. You think you should get that bike? Because I ride bikes and that's a bike right there. Right? That's kind of what they're doing. Because listen, listen how it goes. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession. And bring us not over to Jordan. Notice that. Bring us not over Jordan. I know God has something for us in Jordan, and I, over the Jordan. And I know God says that, that Canaan's the great, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's supposed to be wonderful. But, I mean, just look. Just look. This is, I mean, we haven't even seen Canaan yet, but we're willing to settle now for what we want based upon what we see, not based on what God wants. Right. Notice this. Can I have the bike, Mom? You got a bike, but I want a new bike. I want what I want, right? You hear this? Yep. Self. Self. They're thinking. God thinks he knows what we need, but we know better. Right. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having that kind of mindset? Oh, my goodness. We hear that and we're like, oh, how could they? But how many times in our lives? Have we in no uncertain terms told God, I know what my future holds. I know what I should do for my career. I know what I want to do. I know where I want to live. I know, I know, me, 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 I, 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 I got a plan. Don't we? All the time. So let's not judge them, put ourselves on a high horse and go, oh, look at those guys. No, we're right there. We're right there with them. And understand, you and I want to take ownership of our lives and we want things the way we want them as opposed to saying, Lord, you know what? I submit to your will. Whatever you want for me. Because the thing is, I'll tell you, if you get what you want, but it's not what God wants for you, you really don't want it. In the end, it never, never works out. So, as we saw earlier, uh, there, there, this aspect of what, what's going on, let's continue in this right here. So it says here in verse 6, And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren... Go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Do you realize, guys, do you realize that if you do this, you're going to destroy everybody? All of this work to get us to this point, 40 years, we finally reached here, now we're across, we're here, and now this is what you're going to say to me? This is what you guys want to do? Goodness gracious, thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eshel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children. Remember they sent the spies in? Ten spies came back and said, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to go there. Danger, 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 Will Robinson. We'll get killed. Right? (laughs) So he says, and he says, and he says, and they shall go. And he says, shall not go into the land which the Lord hath given them. Listen, remember. Remember, notice what he just said. The land that the Lord hath given them. Given them. God did not give them the land beside Canaan. He gave them Canaan. Okay? It's important to keep in mind. 
And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he sware, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Follow me. Jesus, ten different times in the gospel, says, Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. What did he say in Matthew 16, 24? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Listen to these people. They're not denying themselves. They're fulfilling themselves. God, we want to make a deal with you that we'll get what we want. That's what's going on right here. Right? And we need to ask ourselves, are we holy following God? Because out of the, out of the 603,550 men over the age of 20 years old that left Egypt to go into the promised land, guess how many made it in? Two. 603,548 died in the wilderness because they were unwilling to bow to God and trust him. Right. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye, listen to this, behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead. Now, that's what they did, and now you're doing the same thing? Reuben and Gad, are you kidding me? Listen. An increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. Do you not realize what you're asking for? And they came near unto him, listen to this, and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves, I mean, hey, We'll go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place and our little ones. Okay, Remember where they are is a dangerous place. They're, the Moabites are right there. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because, why? Because of the inhabitants of the land. We'll need to make it safe for our family before we leave them. Do you realize the fact that they are willing to risk their families' lives to get what they want? Filled with self. They're willing to leave their children unattended in these little cities and go off and fight. Guys, how many Christian men, Christian fathers, have spiritually left their families seeking after personal gain, financial success? And what do they do? They claim, you know what? I'm just providing for my family. I'm just providing for my family. Can I tell you this? Provision for your family is to give them a strong spiritual foundation. Amen. Amen. It's key. If they're to succeed in this world, it won't be the money that you give them. We can look on the internet and see the destruction that finances bring. If that's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, it's not the money. It's the love of it. Where is your heart? These people's heart is on the land they see, man. They're consumed with what they saw. They have the lust of the eyes. And listen, if you've got to travel for your work and you're not able to be there for your kids, hey, I understand. You do what you got to do. But in the time that you do have, don't waste it. Amen. Amen. Don't waste it. Invest in your family. Yes. Give them a spiritual foundation to walk from and to live from. 
Because I'm telling you, when life gets hard, if they have all the money in the bank, it won't make a bit of difference. Amen. Amen. They need a relationship with the Lord. That's right. And it needs to be mirrored in fathers. That's, right. That's our job. Amen. Verse 18. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. We're going to be gone for a while. For we will not inherit with them, listen to this, on yonder side Jordan or forward, because our inheritance is falling to us on this side of Jordan, eastward, eastward. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be in the, in the east. Do you know where the east is? The east is the wilderness, by the way. Still wilderness. Do you know that if you go in the Bible and you track the movement of God, God always moves one way from west, east to west, right? He's always going east to west. East to west, east to west, east to west, east to west. That's the direction they're supposed to go. But they say, no, we'll stay in the, stay in the east. We know better, God. Don't worry. We got this. Verse 20. And Moses said to them, if ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of, the, all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before, the, before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin shall find you out. And that's a principle that we all need to hold on to. You ain't going to hide nothing from the Lord. But I want you to understand, in this instance, Moses is making the deal. Not God. God's not making the deal. Moses is. There's no instance anywhere where God signs off on this agreement. Verse 24. Build you cities for your little ones and folds for your, ship, for your sheep. And do that which, have, that which hath proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, Thy servants will do, notice the wording here, do as my Lord commanded. Commandeth. Notice the word Lord is a lowercase l, okay? They're talking to Joshua, okay? That's their instance. They're talking to Joshua. Thy servants will do as my L-O-R-D, Lord, commandeth. It's not L-O-R-D capital. It's lowercase. It's talking to Joshua. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our cattle shall be there in the cities of Gilead. But thy servants will pass over every armed for every man armed for war before the Lord to battle as my lowercase L-O-R-D saith. Again, now verse 28. Now what's going to happen is Joshua's going to go, okay, look, I've made an agreement with you. Now I'm going to make sure that I share that agreement, what we've agreed to. I'm going to tell, the, tell, my, tell my leadership. So concerning them, Moses commanded Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the chief fathers of the tribes of children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben will pass you, uh, pass, you, pass you over Jordan, every man armed to battle before the Lord, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for possession. But if they will not pass over... With you armed. And they, so look and notice the specs part, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. So even if they fall down on the deal, they're still going to get their possession in Canaan. Imagine that. Imagine being unfaithful and yet still receiving a reward. It's a picture there. Because guess what? God always keeps his promises. 
And if you are saved, if you receive Christ as your Savior, and you're not walking with God right now, you are not going to lose your salvation because God gave you a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is not conditional. It's not, it's not based upon the way we live. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace he is saved through faith, and the not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Your salvation is established through Christ. You are the problem. He is the solution. If you can't gain it, you can't lose it. Praise God. Amen. That was a bonus. That's not in our message, but it's just a little bonus. We just got that for fun. Praise the Lord. So, I don't even know where I'm at. Let's just pay attention. Let me see where I'm at. Here we go. Um, <laughs> all right, if they break the deal, there we are. I'm back on track. Here we go. So, God has what He has for them. We see that. Now, understand the wording. Remember, we had that lowercase l o r d. That's the way they kept saying it. Now, here they're getting ready to speak again. I want you to pay attention to what they say. Verse 31. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, as the Lord hath said unto thy servants, so will we do. Huh. So two times before it was little L. They were hearing from Joshua. Now suddenly they've converted it. Now it's Jehovah God. The Lord didn't say it. Moses did. The God has not signed off on this. What it sounds like is they're trying to sanction what they're doing that God's in on it. God supports this. Hey, man, they're convincing themselves as well as those around them. This is all about the Lord. God's good with our disobedience. But can I just tell you, that's just what it is, disobedience. Because partial obedience is still disobedience. You can't be 99% faithful and 1% unfaithful and yet claim yourself faithful. It doesn't work that way. They are in disobedience to God. Verse 32, we will pass over armed before the Lord under the land of Canaan that the possessions, listen to this, we're going to do exactly what we said, that the possessions of our inheritance on this side, Jordan, may be ours. Okay, mom, I'm going to do the dishes like you said, as long as I get the bike, as long as I get what I want, right? That's the heart of these people. Again and again and again, it goes back to what do they want? What do they want? What do they want? It's not about what God wants, it's about what they want. We will get our way. They're not even concerned about missing out on the promises of Canaan. Do you see that? There's no misgivings. They're not like, man, but, but what if it was even better in Canaan? They don't even question it. They're just like, we'll settle for this. This is what we want. Notice this, verse 33, it wraps up. And Moses gave unto them, even to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land which the cities thereof and the coasts, even the cities of the, of the country round about. So God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. God promised them that he would go before them and drive out the inhabitants of the land. Those are the promises that God gave. And they are only for Canaan. Yeah. Only for Canaan specifically. Why? And then look back in that verse 33. See who did the deal? And Moses gave unto them. Moses. Again and again and again. This is a deal between Moses and them. God hasn't signed off on it. So here we are. What does it tell us? No matter how well they spin this bad boy. No matter how well they tell this story. And how much they may use God's name. This deal was not according to the will of God. You see, this land, even though beautiful and lush, was not part of God's promise. His will for them, his inheritance for them, 
is right where it was from the very beginning. Where was it in the start? It was in the promised land. Not near it, not close to it, not beside it, not bordering it, but in it. Remember, when we studied in the book of Exodus, why did he bring them out? To bring them in. He brought them out to bring them in. The whole reason for getting them out was to get them in. And what we find is the fact that you and I, as born-again children of God, we get saved, man. We get brought out. We're brought out of the bondage of sin. Here we're set free through our deliverer, through our, our Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the death, the burial, through the resurrection, through the blood of a Passover lamb. We're set free. And it's not just to be set free. It's not to come out, it's to go in. Because he said, I have a life for you, an abundant life for you, a walking with me in fellowship with God. The problem with us is we get stuck in the wilderness and we think this is where we're going to live and that's not the place. Why was the manna given them to sustain them? It never satisfied. That's what the Bible says, it was to sustain them because their satisfaction was where the flan performing with milk and honey was. You got to get out of the wilderness. The wilderness is only there as a tool to beat out the old Egyptian garbage. But a majority of Christians are going to die in the wilderness having never experienced the promised land. And my plea to us is that we would surrender our hearts to the word of God, to the will of God. Amen. That we would walk into the promised land and experience fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Where we would grow and that our life not only would be about us, but it would be about us investing in others. Mm-hmm. Developing disciples and training people to make a difference in this world. Because let me tell you, the time grows short. Amen. And it's one thing to recognize it, but what are we doing about it? Is our life speaking into the life of someone else? He brought them out to bring them in. And yet, because of what they saw, the lust of their eyes. Man, this looks good. This is perfect for us. This is cattle land. And did you know we have cattle? This is just what we needed. You see, they decided to settle for what they wanted for themselves instead of what God had for them. God had a specific plan for everyone. He had a portion of land for everyone. Because remember, if they wouldn't follow through the deal, the land would still be available to them. But the thing is, they got caught up in what looks good. And that's what happens to us. Amen. We know what we should do. Many times we know where I should surrender to the Lord. I should submit to this. I should, I should, I should give money to missions. I should, whatever God calls us to. And we go, but... And then we start looking at our circumstance and we reason ourselves out of doing what God calls us to do. That's right. Amen. There are people that have been called to preach that fought it to the day of their death. God had a plan for them. Guys, recognize the fact that as God calls us, all he's asking us to do is to respond. We don't have to be talented. I mean, I'm living proof of God. Thank you, Lord, of that, that, that truth. Like I said, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't go to Bible college. I was trained at a local church. God has done a work in my life. Not because I'm anything special, man. I'm just trying to get out of the way. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The thing is, God's trying to get us to commit to things of God. Commit to the word, commit to prayer, commit to people, commit to service, commit to giving our hearts to him. And see, individually, we have to all make our own choices. It's up to us. So now having a firm understanding of who they are, what they were doing, when this is taking place, where this is happening, we've seen their why. Their why was revealed in that deal. And let's read the verses one more time. 
with that perspective. Joshua 4, verses 12 through 13. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over Arn before the children of Israel as Moses spoke unto them. Verse 13. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. This would be an impressive display. It would go on for maybe an hour. I don't know how long it would take for these guys to all march by. But here they are, the RGM, fulfilling their promise. And this has been quite a spectacle. But can I just tell you, they're fulfilling a promise that wasn't on the terms, on God's terms. It was on their terms. This is a fleshly work done in the name of God. Using the Lord's name. Not for his glory. Remember, that wasn't their concern. It was for their personal gain. They packaged it up nicely. It looks impressive, but on the outside, right? On the outside, they look like faithful followers of God. But the bargain they made tells us that they are followers of self. And there's a verse here in 2 Timothy 3, speaking of the time we live in right now. Listen to what it says. Paul writing to Timothy says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Right? Now, if you love yourself, what does it allow you to do? It falls you into, you fall into sin. And listen to the list. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Boy, these sound like our, like our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. Incontinent means out of control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. They think they have all the answers. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Having a form of godliness. Right? They can look the part. They can put on a fine show. They look like a Christian. They got a tattoo craft, tattoo, a cross tattoo that's been reversed. Cross tattooed on their arm, not a tattooed on their cross. <laughs> but what we see is they look the part. They may sound the part, right? They may carry a Bible. But the thing, what does it say? It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. These soldiers, they're showing up. And they're going to fight. And they're going to do this, having a form of godliness but denying the power of God set the promised land aside for them and they knew, knew better. It says from such turn away. How about us? Are we truly followers of Christ or are we just simply making a show of it as we convince ourselves that our partial obedience blended in with our self-service is somehow acceptable unto God? You see, the choice is ours. The choice is always, it's always ours. We know God's choice for us. We know where God wants us. He wants us in the abundant life. He wants us hand in hand with him. Why was the tabernacle brought to to the earth? To restore fellowship with humanity. You and I are the tabernacle. Receive Christ, man. God wants to walk with us. So to the outside world, man, God's promises of protection and provision, all these things that they had, they turned from them. The RGM turned their back because they chose their interest over God's. And you know what? Scripture carries a sad epitaph for those guys. 
Go to 1 Chronicles 5, verses 25 and 26. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers. You know who all, their, all the ones bordering their land were all pagans. And sure enough, they made their way in and went a whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the, stirred up the spirit of Pul, the king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilnazar, king of Assyria, and carried them away, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them unto Halah and Habor and Harah and the river Gozan unto this day. All that they had valued over their relationship with God was gone in an instant. And so when we hear the tragedy of their story, I hope it causes us to consider our relationship with the Lord, our walk with God, our service unto Him, our Christian lives. Because realistically, listen, are we putting on a show for the world to see? Or are we truly honoring God? Only you know, and God. You could fool us all day long. But see, one day we'll all stand before the Lord. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to see our world, our life, our choices laid out before us. We can stand there ashamed or say, Lord, I did the best that I could. And here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray that's what we hear. Let's be faithful. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today and the gift you've given us of the Word of God. Thank you for the spirit that dwells within us. Lord, helps us to discern it. Lord, I know if no one else received anything today, Lord, I was fed, and I am so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for the work you have done in our hearts and in our minds. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Help us, Lord, to surrender to be the people of God that you've called us to be. As time grows short, Lord, I pray that you'll help us, convict us, draw us to truth. Help it not to be a show. Help it to be real. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, you know what? Pastor, I've been playing some games. Even in my life right now, I'm not who I portray myself to be. If that's you, man, change. Make a difference today. You determine where your life goes. God's calling you. And if he's calling you to be more, be more. Surrender to him. And listen, if you're here today and you say, I don't even know Christ. I understand what that feels like. Almost 20 years ago, I sat in that room, and when I was asked if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven, I said, I hope so, and I had absolutely no clue. But the good news is God loves us right where we are. In the midst of our broken condition, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failures, God loves us. He knows we're failures. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, everybody's in the same boat. That's why he came, because we could not save ourselves. And it was love that put him on the cross. It was love that pinned him there. And it was not nails that held him there. It was love. Because at any moment with a thought, he could have come down. But because he loved us. And he died on the cross and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose from that grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And right now, he calls to your heart. And as he calls you, if you're online and you're watching this, you're watching this recorded and it's 10 years from now, it does not matter because God is the same God today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He's the same and he's calling you. All you have to do is respond. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. If you will call upon him by faith, he will save you. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. This is between you and him. We're only here as witnesses of what God's going to do in your heart. If you want to receive him as your savior, 
If you're alone in your room watching this recorded near your car, wherever you are, if you want to receive him, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But remember, it's not the words that will do anything for you. It is your heart speaking to him. If you speak to him truly and honestly, the Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So right now, their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words. It's your heart God's listening to. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. You can pray this in your heart, in your mind, or out loud. You choose. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I feel the convicting power of your spirit. In this moment, I want to surrender my heart to you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you buried, were buried in a borrowed tomb, and you were raised three days later. And you have the power to save me right where I sit. Lord, I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to save my soul. Lord, I earnestly desire to serve you. And I pray that you will walk with me in this life as I endeavor to do just that. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed.